Well, it's Friday today, everybody. It is Friday, finally. Uh, it's been the, uh, a good week in the Word, and it's the end of a good week in the Word, uh, and I appreciate uh, your being in the Word with me. My name is Tim Harris. This is Tim with Tim, 10 o'clock each day. We go verse by verse, and we're in Acts chapter 9 today. We pick up with the story of Saul, and I love it. Let me back up a little bit. Yesterday in the comments, I noticed that Ruth, Ruth Gregory was asking about um, uh, chapter 8, verse 37. Where is it? Uh, if you're just reading, I have the New Living Translation. I'm just reading, go straight from 36 to 38 with a little asterisk that tells me that uh, verse 37 doesn't appear in all the manuscripts. Like, what? Um, this isn't the only place, that there aren't very many at all, but there are a few places like this where there are verses that uh, English translations uh, will want to sort of uh, flag, let you know that they have a different history, and that's important. We don't have the book of Acts that Luke wrote. We know that Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, sat down and wrote an inerrant, infallible manuscript with his own hand, but we don't have that. What we have are uh, scrolls, you know, uh, documents, you know, copied for the longest time by faithful copyists. And, and when you talk about the inspiration of Scripture, make no mistake, you have to include all this in it. God didn't just inspire the writing of Scripture. He had to inspire the transmission, you know, the process of getting it from them to us. Uh, and that's a long and complicated process. And sometimes you see human fingerprints on that, to be honest, because a whole lot of people, you know, had to copy it by hand and pass it on. What you need to know is verse 37 in chapter 8 is just one of those just a handful of verses in the Bible where um, it shows up later. Like we have earlier manuscripts, like earlier copies of the book of Acts that don't have it. And then it shows up later, and then you start seeing it in later, later manuscripts. So that just makes faithful scholars think that that verse must have been added by somebody along the way. Probably somebody who just wanted to help that story along by, you know, putting a confession of Jesus, a clear, a clear conversion experience in the mouth of the Ethiopian eunuch. And so he has them say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's verse 37. Um, uh, again, believe what you want to about that verse. I like knowing that it's got a different kind of history, and I just like having it in the footnote. It just helps me understand not just you know what the Bible says, but a little bit of the history of how it comes to me. Verse 37 comes to me and you by way of a little bit different history, and that's why it's in the footnotes. That makes sense? Don't be worried about that. It doesn't threaten the integrity, the inerrancy, the infallibility uh, it, it is God's word, and he brings it to us the way he brings it to us. And uh, in verse 37, he brought to us a different way. So just be aware of that. Chapter 9 uh, is where we pick up with Saul. Today, I'm, as I'm reading with you guys, my question was, did Saul kill anybody? Did he kill anybody? I mean, he says he's the chief of sinners, and I know he's not a good guy before Jesus gets a hold of him. But did he kill anybody? Uh, I don't know. He persecuted Christians. We know that. We know that he's first seen right there at the stoning of Stephen, where it says, first off, everybody came and laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So at that point, Saul's not throwing stones. Saul's just holding the coats. And it goes on to say he was there, he witnessed it, and he was in complete agreement with the killing of Stephen. So he wanted him dead. 
Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church in chapter 8, verse 3, dragging men and women and throwing them into prison. Was he killing them or just throwing them into prison? Now, chapter 9, verse 1, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Um, did he did he personally throw the stones? Did, did he kill? It may not matter to you. I don't know that it matters really in the scheme of things. My hunch is Saul is that Pharisee that uh, is, uh, is that kind of guy who can instigate the killing of somebody else but never get his own hands dirty. You know, he's there. He loves watching Stephen die, but you know, he's just holding the coats. You know, he doesn't really get his hands dirty. I don't know. We can't know. But it seems to me like he just may be that Pharisee that, man, he loves watching the Christians die, but he's probably not going to get his hands dirty doing it. That's just my opinion. At any rate, he is on his way to Damascus. He's expanding what's been local persecution. He's now expanding the scope of that to Damascus. Understand, this is a six-day journey. It's 150 miles from Jerusalem, and Saul ain't afraid to travel. Now, that's what I think is so interesting. Uh, when Ananias is called to go you know, lay hands upon Saul, uh, it's interesting because the Lord says, uh, Saul is... Um, my chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. Saul is my, it, it's this idea that Saul is just, he is handmade by God to be his instrument. Uh, and I think it's amazing. When we meet Saul, he's already very motivated. He's, he's highly passionate. He is very mobile. I mean, he will travel. He will go anywhere. In this case, like, you know, six days journey just to get some more Christians in jail. Um, and then he's very missional. You know, he has the mission here. He's, you know, he's going, you know, to arrest more and more followers of, of the way. Just call your attention to that uh, there, there in verse two. Early Christians are called the way, the way. That's the Christian movement. I think that's just kind of interesting. Anyway, as Saul is traveling, um, the, the light, you know, comes out, out of heaven and, and shines around him, knocks him off his horse, so to speak, and a voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Saul thought Jesus was a fraud. Saul thought Jesus was dead. And all of a sudden, Saul comes face to face with the risen Christ in this moment. And, uh, and he is not necessarily uh, uh, going to recover very quickly. He is blind for three days, uh, led by the hand to Damascus in a for there, uh, he just waits. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. He must have a subsequent, some sort of subsequent appearance or revelation because uh, when the Lord speaks to Ananias, he says, I've already told him all about you. You know, I've, I've told him that, uh, you know, how much he's going to suffer for my name. I've told him that uh, a man named Ananias is going to come to him. So he must have some sort of subsequent vision or revelation from God. So then God visits, uh, the Lord visits Ananias to say, I, I got a job for you. Uh, I need you to go find a man named Saul from Tarsus. Uh, go find him. I've shown him a vision. He knows you're coming. And Ananias, I, I love this. It's part of what I love about the book of Acts, especially this reading with you, because I'm just paying more attention to the ordinary people. You know, ordinary guys like Stephen and Philip. They're just deacons, y'all. They're just ordinary deacons, like, like you fire team guys. I mean, they're just guys. But what powerful guys because of Jesus. And here's Ananias, man. Ananias is about to change the world. Now, he ain't going to have to go anywhere. He's not going to have to leave town. But when he 
encourages Saul, and he's the first one to believe in Saul. Understand, he is changing the world, an ordinary man named Ananias. And to prove how ordinary he is, when God taps him on the shoulder and says, listen, there's this guy, his name is Saul. He's from Tarsus. Uh, he's in Damascus. Go to him, uh, all right? Ananias is like, but Lord, it's like, uh, Lord, there's some things you must not know. Like Ananias starts telling, explaining to God what he knows as if maybe like the Lord doesn't know what Ananias knows about Saul. I think it's funny. You know, Lord, uh, he does terrible things. He's not a good guy. You know, uh, he's here to arrest people. You know, isn't it just funny? Do you ever do that? Like you try to tell Jesus things like there's things Jesus doesn't know. And I love what Jesus says. He says, go. Go. I said go. Because Saul is my chosen instrument. You know, in other words, I love how the Lord says, you know, that's that's the Saul you know, but I know a new Saul. <laughs> you know, I know a Saul that you don't know, and I want you to go meet him. I, I, I love that. Do you understand what I'm saying? I just love that so much. And so Ananias goes, he finds Saul, and what does he say to him? Brother Saul. You know, he thought he was going to go, you know, face to face and meet a persecutor, but he comes straight to him and, and he believes in him. He says, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you um, has sent me so that you can regain your sight. Instantly, something like scales fall from Saul's eyes. Uh, he gets up, he's baptized, and then he begins to eat and drink and regain his strength. I, 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 I love that. Uh, just, just a couple of things. Uh, I love the way that Ananias believes in the gospel enough to believe in Saul. It takes some courage to believe in the gospel enough to believe in Saul. But, but the gospel just simply says everybody deserves a chance to change. You know, man, Jesus knows we can change. The problem is all the people that know us don't know we can change. And some people that used to know you, they don't believe that you have changed. You, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing. But it is the promise of the gospel that everybody, absolutely everybody has a right to change. I just many, how many, I wonder how many new converts have fallen away for the simple reason that they, they never had anybody who would believe in them. Like Jesus believed in them and Jesus did, his, did, did the work of salvation and transformation in their lives. But many have, I wonder how many of them just give up and quit or never get started because they never had an Ananias who would come and say, you know, brother, brother Saul. You know, um, my hunch is any of you listening today who have uh, made progress down the road of following Jesus, it's because you had an Ananias. You had somebody along the way who believed in the gospel enough to believe in you. And I just want to encourage you today. There's probably somebody who needs you to go be Ananias to them. There's somebody that everybody knows, but they don't know them the way Jesus knows them. And they need you to go, and instead of seeing a sinner, instead of seeing an addict, instead of seeing an alcoholic, instead of seeing the person you used to know, maybe go visit them and look into their face and see the face of a brother, see the face of a sister. Everybody deserves the right to change, you know, a chance to change. And that's what Ananias gives to Saul. I love the way the Holy Spirit does the work. The Holy Spirit can knock Saul off his horse. The Holy Spirit can blind him, you know, but uh, it takes an Ananias to come along and, uh, and put a man on his feet and set him on the path of following Jesus. The Holy Spirit at some point is going to involve an ordinary person like Ananias, an ordinary person like you. So go out there. Go, go find the people who need an Ananias, need somebody to believe in them. Uh, because, uh, like I say, everybody deserves a chance to change. 
Uh, I love you all so much. Uh, that's our week. We'll pick up on Monday morning right there in chapter 9, verse 20. Monday morning, uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 20 to 31. I've started a new sermon series here in the pulpit at Woodburn called I, I Have My Doubts. I'm just talking about doubt and faith. And Sunday, I really want to get into that. We're often you know, taught to believe that somehow doubt is the opposite of faith, but I don't necessarily believe that, and we'll talk about why on Sunday morning. Here it would bring 8, 9.30, and 11. If I don't see you on Sunday, I will see you Monday morning, Lord willing, 10 o'clock for 10 with Tim. I love you all so much. Thank you for a good week. Thank you for every day in the Word. Uh, you are a, an amazing group of people. I love you all. I'll see you Monday.